0: Okay, now, just for a warning, once again, as stated in the beginning of the message, I'm going to remind you, this message is a message (laughs) with some pretty heavy content that is not appropriate for young ears. So, if you do have young ones about, once again, this is a reminder to be listening either to this message in private Or get the young ones out of sound range, please. And now we are going to continue with our scripture readings on David and his multiple wives. David and his multiple wives. And then we'll close out with David and see what the Bible had to say about him. And finally, for the last text on David and his multiple wives, is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 14 and verse 3. 1 Chronicles chapter 14 and verse 3. 1 Chronicles chapter 14 and verse
1: 3. And And David took more wives at Jerusalem, and David begat more sons and daughters.
0: Now what do we learn from all of that bunch of reading? What is God trying to tell us? Well, it's all summed up in one text. Remember we read right there 2nd Samuel chapter 12 verses 8 through 25. Well, had you read actually the first 7 verses and attach it with 8 through 25 and made that 2nd Samuel chapter 12 verses 1 through 25? you'd get it. See, there's a little parable there, that Nathan comes to David, and he says to David, now, there was two men, there was a rich man and a poor man, and da-da-da. Now, what is the point here? Now, all this time, David had had several other wives. Now, do you notice there was one Nobble's wife, Abigail? Now, let's take a look at a couple of those wives. uh, Abigail, Nobble's wife. When you look at the situation of her, that is a prime example of God showing us the proper, proper proper method of gaining a second mate or second multiple mate Yes, what did David do this fellow? Was treating David bad by God, but he did not seek revenge on this guy He let God have this guy God took him. God slew him with a heart attack. At least it's apparent that that's what happened. Guy fell dead. And David sent his servants, similar to what Abraham did for Isaac, sent his servants and told her and asked her, Would she be willing to be David's wife? And Abigail said, Yes. So after her time of mourning, she went and became David's wife. And she already knew he had other wives. Hello. It was a-okay. And wait a minute. These other women were already having children when you read the text. So once again, another proof text that it had nothing to do with procreation or the ability of the women to be able to, be able to pr- produce a child. So that takes care of that, Dr. Broadbottom. Has nothing to do with whether a person has money or not money because at this time David is not rich. In fact, David is a common soldier. He's being chased. His life is on the line. So he has no money. Oh, yeah, he's got men under him, but he's running for his life. So he's a common soldier with his life on the line. Okay, he's a shepherd boy who's been being chased by this guy, a king. So has nothing to do with money, has nothing to do with wealth, has nothing to do with culture it has nothing to do with procreation or making a child. Now, we see in the life of David the correct way of gaining a mate, an extra partner, a, a second marriage, when you want multiple partners, according to God's word. And you also see, according to the life of David, the incorrect way. How? The very previous chapter, chapter 11, we find that David, as we had already studied, he had taken, he wasn't doing what God said. He wasn't out there with the kings. At this point, he already is the king, so we'll make a correction here. He is already out with the kings. He's already king, but he wasn't out with them at this point. But when he had Abigail, he wasn't a king. He was a soldier. See, when he got Abigail, so obviously that's the correct way. And so that proved right there that had nothing to do, like I said, with gaining an extra partner. But like I said, with Bathsheba, is who we're about to discuss. Now, here he already had wives. Now, what does God say? Now, he here, he takes... This guy's wife and Uriah's wife Bathsheba, as we've already studied, he took, he wasn't even out there in the battle where he was supposed to be, but he's back at home. The woman is in the evening hour when she doesn't even assume anybody should be looking at her. She's just taking her bath up on a rooftop. And what? David happened to look go out on his rooftop what? He sees her taking a bath. Well, excuse me, David, if you had been out there in the battle where you supposed to have been, you wouldn't have saw her. But he saw her. Now, uh, excuse me, uh, nitpickers, uh, let's clarify something else. Bathsheba is just as guilty as David was. Bathsheba's just as guilty. Let's not pin it all on David. He called her. She came. Soon as she knew David's intent, she could have said, Hold it, King David. I'm married, and I'm not doing this, David. But she laid with him too. So let's not pin it all just on David. She was just as guilty. Hello, it takes two to tango. Takes two to tango. She was just as guilty. Now, so she laid with him. Then, when she got pregnant, now all of a sudden she finds out she's pregnant. And she got to know what to do about it. So David is the one trying to figure out how to get her out of this mess. And he tries all this other stuff. Ends up coming up with a plot to kill Uriah. Well, when he kills her, he kills him through a sneaky little plan because he couldn't get Uriah to do this other little plot that he was hoping to make it look like it was Uriah's child. Instead, so he kills him off in battle. And then what does he do? He gets Bathsheba as his wife. That's proof text of what God was telling David is the wrong way to get a multiple partner. How do I know that? Now we hit chapter 12 of 2 Samuel. He sends Nathan, the prophet. He gives this little parable of the rich man and the poor man and about the poor man's lamb. And then he comes to David and says, Thou art the man. Meaning, David, you're the one who took the lamb, the the poor little guy's lamb, meaning this guy's wife. And then he breaks it down for David and says, Look, if you wanted extra wives... Meaning such and such. That's the such and such. Had you wanted extra wives, look, you wanted extra riches, I would have given it to you. You wanted extra wives, I would have given it to you. Whatever. How do I know that? Because all the other wives David had, he, he already just said it in the previous part of the verse. Look, I gave you your master's wives, plural, into your bosom, etc., etc. Now, had you wanted more, I would have given them to you, David. So was God against multiple marriage? No! Not one bit. Not one bit. God wasn't against multiple marriage. Hello, cults, read your Bible. It's in there. He's not against multiple marriage. It's how you go about it. He said, I would have given them to you, but you went about it the wrong way, and you killed an innocent man to get her. See, you don't have to kill somebody to get an extra wife if that's what you wanted. And then he goes on to say, now, because you did this dirty deed, now I'm going to give you a judgment, David. And that's what the whole thing with Bathsheba was. See, that was the only time it was ever classified adultery what a multiple wife. Now, you go, you nitpickers. You always like to pull out Bathsheba as your example. You like to pull out Bathsheba, but never in the whole Bible do you ever find so far we've brought up multiple wives. Not once have you found adultery or fornication linked with multiple wives in exception of Bathsheba. And why? Because there was murder involved with it. All you got to do is open your Bible, read it, and weep. Okay, now another favorite of Dr. Broadbottom and all those of Baylor University that they like to nitpick on for saying, well, you shouldn't have multiple wives, is the most famous one who had multiple wives. Good old King Solomon. Good old King Solomon. Well, I think that's why we're going to read about King Solomon and his wives. We already found out what his sin was when we talked about the strange wives with the priests well let's also read about king solomon and his multiple wives right here with four comparative texts the first found in 1 kings chapter 7 verse 8 1 kings chapter 7 verse 8 1 kings chapter 7, verse kings chapter 7 and verse 8
1: and his house, where he dwelt, had another court within the porch, which was of the like work. Solomon made also an house for Pharaoh's daughter, whom he had taken to wife, like unto this porch.
0: Okay, the second text about Solomon and his multiple wives is for, found in First Kings chapter nine, verse sixteen. First Kings chapter nine, verse sixteen. First Kings, Kings chapter nine and verse sixteen.
1: For Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and taken Giza, and burnt it with fire and slain the Canaanites that dwelt in the city and given it for a present unto his daughter, Solomon's wife. The next one about
0: Solomon, King Solomon and his multiple wives, is found in First Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. 1
1: But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go in to them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had seven hundred wives, princesses, and three hundred concubines, And his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build an high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servant. Notwithstanding, in thy days I will not do it, for David thy father's sake. But I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Howbeit, I will not rend away all the kingdom but will give one tribe to thy son for David my servant's sake and for Jerusalem's sake which I have chosen.
0: And the last text about Solomon and his multiple wives is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 8 verse 11. 2 Chronicles chapter 8 verse 11. 2 Chronicles chapter 8 and verse 11.
1: And Solomon brought up the daughter of Pharaoh out of the city of David unto the house that he had built for her. For he said, My wife shall not dwell in the house of David, king of Israel, because the places are holy whereunto the ark of the Lord hath come.
0: Okay, Dr. Broadbottom, it's time for you to put on your suit of armor and get ready to be whooped again with the sword of the Lord. Amen. Because, do you see this? God wasn't saying adultery. God wasn't saying fornication. Read it. What was the problem with Solomon and his multiple wives? Was God mad that he had them? No. The reason he didn't like Solomon's multiple wives was the strange, strange wives that led him astray after false Gods! False gods! Get it? See, once again, example. If a Christian wanted a second partner, say a man wanted two wives, or a, one, a woman wanted two husbands, and they were a Christian, all God All Jesus would expect them to have is their partners to be is Christians! Worshiping Jesus! Not one worshiping Buddha and the other one worshiping Mary! Duh! That don't take rocket science. All it takes is a little intelligence. They both, the man... And the two women, or the women, the two women and the one man have to, what? All have Jesus as Savior. Or, if they're all lost, they all three have to be lost. It don't take rocket science to figure that out. God made it very plain in the law and throughout the Bible. It's all consistent. They all have to be of the same yoke, the same consistency. You don't have it unequal. It makes common sense. Read it and weep. Okay, now, if that ain't enough to convince you that God has no problem with multiple mates, then what do you do with this? He tells even one of his prophets to marry (laughs) what not only he tells him to marry two women, two, prophet Hosea, he tells him to marry first a whorish woman as a sign of their spiritual whoredom and also and adulteress as a sign of their spiritual adultery, as a sign. So, can I prove that? Oh, you better believe I can. You better believe I can from the book. Let's look at them. Our first text is in Hosea chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Hosea chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Hosea chapter 1, verses 1 through 3.
1: The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Berai, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms, and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, which conceived and bare him a son.
0: And our second text about our prophet Hosea, who is told to marry two different women as a sign, one a adulteress and one a whorish woman, the second one is found in Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. Hosea chapter 3 and verse 1.
1: Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods, and love flagons of wine. <laughs> wow.
0: Can you picture that one? Picture God telling one of you preachers go down to the local whorehouse, grab a whore, bring her to one of your other preacher buddies, and marry her. <laughs> Oh, I won't do that, because it'll look bad on my reputation. Oh, yeah, you sure wouldn't want your reputation ruined, would you? Well, look what Hosea did. It's exactly what he did. God told him to do it, and he did it as a sign. He married a whore. And then he also married went and got an adulteress. It's not the same woman. Two different women. And he did it. Because God told him to do it. He bought that second woman, and she became his wife. So he had two wives, and he's a prophet. Now, he doesn't have lots of money. So, whether rich or poor, whatever, once again, we prove multiple wives have nothing to do With any of that nonsense that's been preached. Amen. Amen. And amen. Okay. Now as we're getting real close to wrap up here. We need to cover this. The generations of Jesus Christ. That is. The whole generations from Adam through to Christ. And of course that's going to end up covering Joseph and Mary. The Virgin Mary. Now. So. So of course cuz he was her husband she was his wife and that's going to be obviously one husband one wife and i know the nitpickers are going to say well well hold on before you start nitpicking we got some things to talk about here in this too so first let's look at these three comparative verses about the generations of Jesus Christ the first is found in Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 through 25 Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 25. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 25.
1: The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas begat Phares and Zerah of Thamar. And fairies begat Ezram, and Ezram begat Aram, and Aram begat Amminadab, and Amminadab begat Niasen, and Niasen begat Salmon. And Salmon begat Boaz of Rekab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriass. And Solomon begat Reboam, and Reboam begat Abiah, and Abiah begat Asa. And Asa begat Josaphat, and Josaphat begat Joram, and Joram begat Ozias, And Ozias begat Joatham, and Joatham begat Achaz, and Achaz begat Ezekias. And Ezekias begat Manasseh, and Manasseh begat Amon, and Amon begat Josias. And Josias begat Jeconias and his brethren, about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begat Selathiel, and Selathiel begat Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begat Abiad, and Abiad begat Eliakim, and Eliakim begat Azor, and Azor begat Sadok, and Sadok begat Achim, and Achim begat Eliad, and Eliad begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Matthan, and Matthan begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ." So all the generations, from Abraham to David, are fourteen generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are fourteen generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are fourteen generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins.
0: The second scripture found about the generations of Jesus Christ is found in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 56. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 56. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 56.
1: And in the sixth month... The angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favoured, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And Mary arose in those days, and went into the hill country with haste, into a city of Judah, and entered into the house of Zacharias, and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats, and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath holpen his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months, and returned to her own house.
0: And the third and final one about the generations of Jesus Christ, we can find that in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 39. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 39. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 39.
1: And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things, and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God, and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him, And Simeon blessed them, and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Aser. She was of a great age, and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she, coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth.
0: (laughs) Okay, Dr. Broadbottom, we got some things to crack on here. First of all, we find a couple interesting things. First off, do you notice that Bathsheba, the one who, even though the first son that was killed that God let die from Bathsheba, her second son after that, that David had. Do you notice it's Solomon? And, hmm, isn't that interesting? He's in the bloodline of Jesus. Interesting, isn't it? Also, Tamar was also in that bloodline in the generations of Jesus. Very interesting, isn't it? See, multiple marriage. If it was so bad and evil, why is it the people that had multiple marriages cropped up in there? Would you explain that to me? Also in the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, why are those people in there too? About Gideon, Samson. You want to explain that to me, Mr. Dr. Broadbottom? You probably couldn't figure it out if you wanted to. Okay, now, I'll tell you why. Because it had nothing to do with the wives. It had to do with their faith. I'll tell you why. Now, notice something also interesting here. Joseph is espoused to Mary, the Virgin Mary. Now, of course, you Catholics need to get your head screwed on straight. She was just as much a sinner as anybody else. Because after she gave birth to Christ, she had to go and offer her turtle doves. So get your head screwed on straight. When you read the text, she had to give her turtle doves just like anybody else. She was just as much a sinner. Amen. And furthermore, why is it that when Jesus was 12, she had to go searching for Jesus? (laughs) Come on. She was a sinner, okay? But anyway, now think about this. Here, Mary and Joseph. What's this? What do you find interesting about their betrothal? Now, here they are betrothed, just betrothed to be married. Why is it that here in America we think that betrothal, oh, well, that's like an engagement, and so we shouldn't have sex outside of the actual marriage? They're not married yet. Well, she was just betrothed to be his wife. Excuse me, then where was her entourage? Where was her? uh, uh, ladies in waiting when they went into the, uh, cave when she gave birth to Jesus, they weren't married yet. They were only, she was only espoused to be his wife and they went up to Bethlehem because she was espoused. Uh, they didn't have a rush marriage, honey. What, she had a bastard child out of marriage and thus, oh, of course that's what everyone thought. Now, you better read that carefully. The minute they were espoused, it was just the same as if they had been married, put rings on their finger. I'm sorry, Joseph chose to keep her a virgin. He could have been with her. He could have but he chose not to. Technically, a lot of times what they do in the betrothal time is they use that as a testing time for the husband and wife just to see if they're faithful. But technically, they can together. If they wish to get together, they could. But a lot of times they use that as a testing time just to see if the husband and wife will be faithful, the the members, the the couple, will be faithful. But technically, they don't have to be celibate between each other because they are married. Because think about it. Joseph took Mary in the cave and he was with her. Who helped her give birth? It doesn't say anything about her having A midwife go in the cave and help her give birth while Joseph stood outside. Doesn't say one word about it. I don't care about this Jesus of Nazareth movie having some woman offer to give her help to give birth. I don't buy it. It's possible, but very improbable. Most likely, most likely he had to take care of his wife himself which meant he had to give, because it's awful funny that he couldn't even find any room in any inn in that whole town. So what's the odds that he found a midwife to help him out? Slim to zero. That meant he had to take care of his wife himself. But he knew that that was going to be the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and he chose not to touch Mary, and he left her purer so that when she gave birth, she would be a virgin on the moment of her birth, of his birth. Hello. So, hello, Dr. Broadbottom. I thought I'd crack on that issue, too. See, a lot of people like to misconstrue that, but no, that there proves that nonsense about the little boy and the little girl that before marriage is fornication. No. If they're intent on being married, if they're engaged, just like Joseph and Mary, if they're already intent on being married and they're engaged, and it's already scheduled, it's locked down, son, it's just as good as if the con- if they, they had already spoken the vows because... They spoke their vows when they agreed to be married. It's a done deal. Because remember, the the Bible covenant was when you spoke and said you were going to do something. Your word was supposed to be your bond, not this piece of paper that you have in some courthouse. It's supposed to be a covenant, not a contract. Amen, amen, and amen. And finally, we're going to wrap this up with two more readings, two more scripture texts about the Lamb's wife, that is, Jesus Christ's bride. The first text will be found in Revelation Revelation chapter 19, verses 5 through 10. Revelation chapter 19, verses 5 through 10. Revelation chapter 19, verses 5 through 10.
1: And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give honour to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy.
0: And finally, our last scripture text that I'd like you to look into about the lamb's wife is found in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. 11.
1: And God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, and unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And finally, now, we find about the
0: lamb's wife. Now, of course, the Lamb being Jesus Christ. And who is his wife? Now, a lot of people say that's the bride of Christ, the church. Well, in all honesty, that's the New Jerusalem when you read the text. Now, isn't it? That's the, church, that's the New Jerusalem. But what is the New Jerusalem? The New Jerusalem is technically all believers. The New Jerusalem is a figure, a figure, figuratively, us. Every person who makes up that New Jerusalem. See, the pearly city is us who will dwell in it. So, yes, although one person well said that, it's us. Well, technically, really, it's the city. It's the city who is the bride of Christ, but it's us who dwell in it. So, technically, yes, it is us, figuratively. Figuratively as a symbol, but it's literally this whole city. It's all of us that have been blood-bought, born again. So, technically, really, the answer is it's the New Jerusalem that is Christ's bride, is the real answer. It is not the individual Christian. It's not even the church. The blood-bought church. It is the New Jerusalem, is the answer according to Revelation. But, but, symbolically, it is the church. So, the answer, according to Scripture, it is the New Jerusalem. And whether you like that Dr. Broadbottom, you got to live with it. That's the way it is. Amen, amen, amen. All right, now for a little recap on everything we've been through. I mean, it's been a long time now. It's time to wrap up and has some closing comments here. It's time for a a cap-up and close this message. It's been a lot of message here. As you know, we started with an introduction that was one disc. Then we basically let God, we basically let God have his say, even though I had comments, but basically I let God do his own talking from his word. Yeah, like a baseball commentator, I just or a football commentator. I just only told you what the action was. <laughs> I repeated what God had to say, but basically it was God's word that did all the talking. Okay? Now, we're going to do a recap. First of all, first of all, the history. <laughs> well, as you know, the history says, way back, way, way back. Well, what? It was pretty obvious. Way back in history, what? We took, and there was a lot of history there that we discussed in disc one, but in short, you had people who took through the years They took marriage. They obviously took God's word. And in short, it was pretty obvious what happened. They obviously did not have, way back before Strong's Concordance was ever put together, they obviously didn't have computers. They didn't have all of that. So what did they have? It's like, now those who know what a tapestry is, okay. But those who have a modern computer would appreciate this. It's like looking at one dot on, see, a computer screen is made up of a bunch of little dots, tiny, 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 tiny dots, that make up that screen. See, you think it's a picture on that screen, but in reality, it's a bunch of dots across the screen, hundreds of dots across the screen to make one row. Then another 100,000 million dots across to make the second row. And so on down the screen. So 100,000 dots across and 100,000 dots down. Now, each of those dots are different colors. Now, you put them all together and it makes one picture. Now, imagine trying to understand that picture by looking at one dot. Or those who've done latch hooks know what I'm talking about. Now, try to understand the whole picture by one little strand or one little dot. You're not going to. It's not going to happen. Well, that's the history of what happened here with marriage. And and well, we're going to see the same thing with sex. They took one little dot. It's like trying to understand our planet by looking at it from five 100,000 light years away, so far away that our planet looks like a little speck of dust. And trying to understand, is there life on that planet? It's like trying to understand, is there really life on Pluto by using your naked eye? Come on. You're not going to understand if there's life on Pluto. The only way to understand if there's life on Pluto is to get a rocket, go up there, and land, put a lander on Pluto and actually get a, a take, go up with your own rocket, go up there, and land on it. It's like going to the moon. The only way to know if there's life on the moon is to go up with a rocket, with a landing craft, a limb, land on the moon, and look. I mean, there are some religions that actually teach and have taught that there's life and men that live on the moon. We have found that that's not true. They even said the moon is made out of green cheese. We found out that's not true. Now, the fact is, until you've been there, you're not gonna know. Well, history has taught that marriage and sex, and for this sake of this part, we're talking about the marriage aspect. We have found that history has taught what they have taught in history is off the mark. Why? And it's obvious because they were looking at that one little dot and they were off. That's what the history part has found. Why? Because they were looking at one dot and thus they didn't have the whole picture in its focus. That is what's wrong about the history. They had it completely, completely out of focus. And so that's where history has been off. So the history... They had their history completely out of whack because they were looking at one little dot and not the complete picture. And then after talking about the history, we spoke about the attitudes, present attitudes, which, of course, came about because of that history. And, of course, we had spoken in the history about the Victorian and the Um, Puritan ethics, and, of course, those attitudes came from those eras. And, of course, how did we get those attitudes? It came because of culture. Now, how did we get that culture? Sorry, Christians, it came because of you. It came because, obviously, you didn't interpret the Bible right. You were looking, like I said, at that one little dot, you were looking at that one teeny itty witty bed dot because you didn't have all of the Bible, even way back at the beginning. Obviously, you only had part of the Bible as it was being written. And thus, you weren't able to interpret what God was saying and even what little bit you did have, you weren't listening to what God was saying. God was making it pretty pl- plain, but you wanted to hear what you only wanted to hear. You were like the teenage kid. Before mama got done saying, don't drive the car too fast, before she got the last two words out too fast, you were interrupting mama because you were so busy, worried about her, thinking that you did, she didn't want you to drive the car at all. Had you shut your big fat mouth and listened close enough, you would have understood that she wanted you to drive, and it was okay to drive the car, but just be careful and not drive too fast. Two sentences, very much similar, only one was, don't drive the car too fast, be careful. And the other sentence meaning, don't drive at all, don't pick up the keys, don't even step in the car. Two big different meanings, just two added words. Well, see, by listening carefully, we would have understood God better. Well, by the same token, how far into the Bible did we get before God made it plain that there was no problem with multiple wives, for example. (laughs) Not very far. The law, the Torah, when it was handed down on a table of stone and Moses was around, that wasn't very far at all. And Moses himself, as we found very clearly, gave us two Laws that very clearly said that having multiple mates was okay. And then clearly, in one of them, very clearly he said, if you have two wives and one is beloved and one is hated, it couldn't been any clearer than that. But what? We weren't listening. We weren't listening. Why? Because we heard only what we wanted to hear, not what God was really saying. Oh, well, adultery was sin, Dr. Broadbottom. Oh, adultery is sex outside of marriage and and a fornication is the little teenage boy and the little teenage girl who are unmarried. I'm glad we took this study. We found out different, didn't we? So we looked at the history, we looked at the present attitudes, and we found out that the attitudes came about because of what we thought God meant. And those attitudes, we pushed upon society, and as we pushed them upon society, yes, it was us, it was us, Yes, it was early Christians and our attitudes. Ew, sex is so evil and ew, icky. Unless it's procreative, unless it's going to produce a child, you shouldn't have sex. It's sinful. Hello, Christians. It was you. Admit it. And thus, by pushing that, we were the ones who created the laws. And then it was us who got into the bedrooms of America and every other country. Blame yourselves. Amen. 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 And then, of course, after speaking about love and marriage, obviously, and how that you can't have one without the other, obviously, then we spoke of about, you know, also speaking of how that, with our present attitudes as well, you know, like, you know, it being unclean, you know, like with the women in their sanitary napkins, etc. Those kind of attitudes that we passed on from generation to generation. Then we spoke of marriage styles and the different styles on disc one. We talked about, for example, your monogamous marriages, your triad marriages, your group marriages. We talked about those different types, and we talked about why that those different types. And then, obviously, if you looked at what we talked about in the Scriptures, about multiples, etc., well, if you actually look in the Bible, yes, as we have seen, Yes, the multiple marriages, there were multiple marriages. It was plain to see. It was very plain to see that there was multiple marriages. And then, obviously, after we talked about the types, we talked about them. And and what's interesting about that is we talked about multiple marriage. And what did we find out about multiple marriage? We found out that unlike our society today, which came from the Puritan and Victorian eras, see, that came about because of the laws. Had man actually, yes, the laws are okay, but had man went with what God said, The laws on the books would read that under the conditions that a man or a woman required the second partnership, and it could be proven that that is required, then they'd be permitted that second partnership. See, we shouldn't be trying to put by laws, by law, what they should be allowed to do or not allowed to do in their own home or bedroom. But no, what are we doing? We try to put by law and decree in our country what people do in their homes and bedrooms. Obviously, because marriage is a covenant, but we have turned it into a piece of paper, which is a contract. Yes, We need to read that from the Bible, read it, and weep. And then we finished out disc one just before we got ready to get into the main body of where God started to have his say about the scientific data about the reproductive years of men and women. And once again, we will reiterate here. Men, see, although men become become productive as far as reproductive, they become productive sexually, able to produce a child one to two years after females, which is about the female 12 to 13. The male 13 to 14. Now, here's the difference. The man, he, his end date doesn't end. He could reproduce a child, he could produce a child has the capability all the way till his death. When he kicks the bucket, slides on the banana peel, and falls in the the hole, when he's dead, that's when he quits reproducing. However, the female stops reproduction years at age anywhere from roughly... They say 48 to 52. They call it the menopause in women. Although, yes, there is what they call the male menopause or climacteric. That comes right around age 60 to 65 in men. But that is not to be misinterpreted as like the female menopause. That is not the same. It is just a slowing down time when men slow down sexually. But it doesn't mean they quit sex. It just means they slow down because of their bodies. But they're still able to reproduce a child. An 80-year-old man who has sex with a 30-year-old woman, should he ever get that opportunity, can and is still capable of... Having and fathering a child. It's that simple. Why? Because his sperm are still active and still viable. They're still good sperm. It is not. His sperm that are the problem. It is his body. It is his body at that age. He is just slowing down physically. Now, that's why they call it the male menopause. It has nothing to do with his uh, being able to reproduce a child. However, the female at age 48 to 52. What has happened in her is she has stopped producing the one most important thing. She has stopped ovulating eggs, which means she no longer could reproduce a child no matter what. Not unless all of a sudden she has a miraculous event Like the mother of John the Baptist did. Because it said that it happened to her that she was after the time of women, or like Sarah did in her old age. That was after the time of women, meaning they were after their menopause. They already quit producing eggs. That is the only way it is going to happen. So, after menopause, a woman totally stops producing eggs, and they are no longer capable of producing a child. Plain and simple, when they have menopause, stop having periods, menzies. plain and simple, reproduction is dead they're done it does not mean they can no longer have sex it just plain and simple means they no longer could produce a child that's all so reproduction is done now there's some other aspects of the woman's body that doesn't mean they're done it just means childbirth is finished That is what's finished. Reproduction is complete at age 48 to 52. That's why it's called the menopause. And it is not to be confused with the male menopause, which is a slowing down time. The two need to be understood. So that's what the scientific data is on that. Now there is some other scientific data we're going to share in disc two, but that's when we get to scientific data in disc two, or I should say part two, not disc two, but part two, which is the sexual part. Now, then we get into some real good stuff. Amen, amen, amen. Then, as you know, for several discs... God had to pound into Dr. Broadbottom's brain the meaning of adultery and fornication. Why? Because many people thought that fornication was the little boy, teenage boy and little teenage girl that were not married, running off and having some relationship. While adultery was... The husband running off on his wife. But we actually found out that no. Adultery. Is the man running off on his wife. spirit in a spiritual sense. It could be. The person running off on God. That's the description. While fornication is the man running off on God. Basically going for a false God. Going for a false God is adultery spiritually. And going off on God to a false God is spiritual fornication. Basically, it's like if you got on the front of your car a thing that's round, it's rubber, with tread on it, filled with air, on a steel rim, and it says Goodyear on it. But on the back of your car, it's round, black, rubber, filled with air, got tread on it, on still on a steel rim, but it says Michelin. Now, just because one says Fire, uh, one says Goodyear, and the other one says Michelin, but they're both round rubber, got tread on them, filled with air on on steel rims, doesn't mean anything. They're both brand names for the same generic term called a tire. all well just because one is running off on God running off on God to a false God and the other one is running off on God to a false God but one is called adultery and the other one's called fornication well that's what God said to you dummies well same thing just because one is running off on your husband and or wife and the other one is running off on your husband and or wife one is called adultery one's called fornication had nothing to do with the little teenage boy or girl that were unmarried and it took several discs for god to pound that in your thick skulls verse after verse after verse we went through to show the point that What people had taught for thousands of years was not true. And then after that, then we started to get into the rules. What God had to say about marriage. Now, yes, there were some people that God didn't have a problem with. Now, if you notice, though, there were certain people that God said, Wait a minute, they have to have only one wife. Now, in that category, ask yourself this. One, were you a Levitical priest? Are you a Levitical priest? Meaning, are you Jewish? And are you of the tribe of Levi? Hmm. If the answer is no, then you don't need to worry about being under the rule that you only have one wife. Secondly, are you of the sons of Aaron? Then you don't have to worry about having one wife. Thirdly, are you of the sons of Zadok? They're required to have only but one wife. Fourthly, it says, if you were a pastor slash elder slash deacon. Why? Because once again, just like adultery and fornication, God used a term that was interchangeable like Goodyear or Michelin. Isn't interchangeable for the word that's a generic term, tire. Well, pastor, elder, and bishop are all brand names for the same thing, the same basic office, the guy who stands behind the pulpit in the front of the body of Christ in a local church. He's called a pastor. He's called an elder. He's called a bishop. Well, he's supposed to be the husband of one wife. I guess that rules out women pre—women pastors, not women preachers that are evangelists that go on the street. I'm not talking about that. I am talking about women pastors. Pastors who want to have the charge of a church. I guess that rules them out. Amen. So, then it says, it says, and deacons. Now, if you were one of those groups, you could not have And then, obviously, I covered in that section about, when I was talking about the pastor, I made a distinction, obviously, if you were a missionary pastor. For example, like if you were in India, and you pastored a church in India, and you were a missionary from the United States going to India, and you pastored a church in India. Well, obviously, you're a pastor, so that then qualifies you as a pastor. So then that rule, that rule or requirement applies to you. However, if you were a missionary, but you're an evangelist, which means you do not have a church that you are pastoring, and you're going from church to church to church to church, and you do not pastor or you're not running a local congregation and you're not over or the authority over a specific church then that does not apply to you you're an evangelist so evangelists teachers singers that kind of thing teachers those people were not under that rule we also looked at soldiers they did not apply under the one wife rule we saw that over and over it talked about it we found that also it talked about very clearly Divorce. If a person had gotten divorced, why hold the, uh, 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 a sword over somebody's head because somebody got divorced? Especially if they weren't guilty in such a case. But we want to because, oh, well, it's sinful. Oh, shut up. Amen. Amen. Amen.